would help if you like change, if you don't mind that your plans get disrupted, if you enjoy challenges and a very fast-paced environment where, you know, your priorities will change. Hi there, and welcome to the seventh episode of the You and Job Finder Career podcast by Intono. My name is Magnus Bucht, and for those of you listening to this podcast for the first time, this is a show where we want to increase your chances for having a career with the United Nations, European Union, development banks, intergovernmental or non-governmental organizations. We're talking to people having a remarkable career in this field, trying to get their stories about how they once entered the choices that they've made during the career, challenges that they've faced, and of course, not least, to hear what kind of advice they can share with us. Today, we're going to talk to Laura Lundén from UNRWA. As you can hear in the interview, Laura is a person that has enormous amounts of insights about the challenges that you will face when you're having an international career, but of course, also about the rewards. She actually grew up um, in this field, having a father who was also a, a, a diplomat. And he, uh, she has, for the last 25 years, not only served a number of different UN organizations, but also have been placed in, in many different countries, such as New York and Geneva and headquarters locations, but also in, in really hardship duty stations in East Timor and, and so forth. So. It's a really interesting interview, and I hope you will enjoy it. So, without further ado, here's Laura Lundin. Hello, everyone. I'm very happy and honored to have Laura Lundin here as a guest at the You and Job Finder Career Podcast. Laura. Welcome and great to have you with us. Yes, thank you very much. It's my pleasure entirely. Thanks, Laura. So, Laura, you've been with the United Nations for many years. You've been working for different <laughs> organizations. You've been really in, in various locations in the world. Um, you've been now with a number of years for the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, UNRWA. And for a long time, you were also working with... Um, UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And now you're the Director of Human Resources for UNRWA. Um, so, Laura, that, that was a very, very short description of, of your career. So, so please tell us a bit more of, of, of your long history with the, with the UN. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. It sounds kind of daunting when you put it like that. But indeed, yes, I, I've just hit my 25th anniversary in, in the UN system. Um, in addition to that, you know, you know, obviously that that makes me a UN uh, veteran and also makes me a UN gypsy. But in addition to that, I'm I'm also what they call a UN brat, which basically makes me a second generation UN. Um, right. So I guess that's what that's what got me started. Um, yeah, I have had a very mobile career. I think the, the shock of the 25 years sounds perhaps worse than, than uh, I feel it, but nonetheless, it's, it's a long time, obviously. Mm. Um, I, I started my career in UNRWA in the early 90s, um, and I then left in the early 90s. 
peace because obviously, you know, the Oslo Accord was coming up and peace was going to break out and UNRWA was going to close. So many of us left. And at that point in time, I, I moved on to, to UNHCR. Hmm. Um, since then, after UNHCR, you know, I've done nine field duty stations, uh, four uh, different UN entities and three headquarters. So I've done it from New York to Vienna to Geneva, from Asia to Africa and the Balkans, and now here in, in the Middle East. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a bit of my background. Oh, 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 oh. That's the, uh, so give us a few examples of, of, of actual duty stations that you've been. I, I know that you've been in Sierra Leone, for example, for quite some time. And Yes. Yes. Well, um, I started obviously in the occupied Palestine territories in the 90s. After that, I moved for a little while to Vienna um, to do external relations and projects. I then joined UNHCR in, in Zagreb and Sarajevo. Um, I worked there for about three years in human resources, and that was my, my first HR job. Mm. I then moved over to, uh, to Geneva in UNHCR headquarters, where I also did human resources. I moved back to Sarajevo <laughs> after a little while, stayed there for about 18 months, then moved to the UN Secretariat in New York, again within HR, but as a special assistant to a director. Um, after a year in UN headquarters, I moved off to East Timor. Mm. Uh, that was a, that was a startup mission, which is obviously fascinating. Um, I then um, uh, f- came back to headquarters for a maybe about three years. And again, I did recruitment, uh, HR planning and, and other HR functions. And then I went to Sierra Leone for a while. And then, then obviously, again, back to New York headquarters. And then in, in 2007, after about 17 years away, I came back to UNRWA as the director of administration, mm-hmm. which I then did for about five years. And now I'm, I'm back in HR, so a full circle. Right. Yeah, no, really astonishing. So, so it mean, would be interesting to hear. I mean, I think the fact that you have been going really back and forth between sort of the uh, <laughs> really hardship duty stations um, and also headquarters. Do, do you think that that has um, is normal from what you've seen from from other UN careers? Um. I, I wouldn't say necessarily it's normal, but equally, I think there is a group of us that, that move around between agencies and, and, uh, and duty stations, and that's the more mobile part of the, of the UN system staff. Mm. There are other people who do that, you know, whose functions don't lend themselves necessarily to the same type of mobility. Mm. Uh, but, but there is a significant group of people who enjoy doing this type of work. And these days, of course, I think that the mobility is really of the essence for, for a UN career. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, I want to go back to your the, uh, your history because I think that we talked a bit mm-hmm. about that before we we started the, now the interview. But um, you said that you 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 are a UN brat. That was actually an expression that I haven't heard before. So so <laughs> your your father was also working for the UN. Yes, he was. Yes, he started with the Foreign Service, like many do, and then he moved over to the UN. And and uh, by the time he'd retired, I was just about to graduate, and and that's why I sort of got into into the UN system. But I had obviously had the spark early on because I grew up abroad, mm. and I'd seen a lot of, of what the UN does. So that gave me the the initial interest, I guess, in the in an international career. But fundamentally, I guess uh, later on in life, when you start thinking about these things, perhaps more more seriously. 
you, my driver has been the fact that I, I, for my personal satisfaction and my professional satisfaction, I needed something that was meaningful and that needed to be meaningful for me. And I wanted to do something that I felt had value and, and, and uh, made a difference, however cheesy that may sound. Um, and I think it's, it's throughout my career. And if you look at how I moved around, uh, my moves have primarily been mandate driven um, mm. in the sense that I, I wanted to be part of whatever was going on. You're part of history, however, in a small or personal way that might be. Mm. But that's really one, one, one being the driver for me. Mm. Yeah, excellent. So where did you actually grow up then? Well, I grew up primarily in, in, in Guatemala and Uruguay. That was the, the initial part of it. And then my father served for a very long time in, in Ethiopia. Hmm. Okay, great. So, so after that, the uh, mm. sort of childhood where you actually were really having a, an, an international childhood, what, what was your then entry point into the development sector or to, or to the UN? You, you, you started with UNRWA, you said. But was that actually the... the your first job? Um, it wasn't my first job. My first job after university was actually uh, resettling uh, Vietnamese refugees in Finland. Um, Finland has a fairly small refugee population and even smaller at the time. And this was the first time it had been decided that we would try to resettle refugees outside the, the, the capital region, the Helsinki region. Mm. So, so I did that for a while and that was obviously fascinating. And I had been applying for UN jobs and eventually I, I was approached uh, by UNRWA for for a job in in West Bank, uh, which is Jerusalem, mm. and um, I, initial, my initial reaction was that no, 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 I, I kind of want to go to Africa or I want to go to, to Latin America, South America, but but obviously this was a great opportunity for me, so so I took it. And that particular job was in administration at that point in time. I guess it's more called organizational support these days, mm. which include, you know, uh, HR, finance, procurement, security, and, and, and such areas. So that was my, my first job in, in the UN. Um, and that was pretty much by coincidence, actually, that I ended up in UNRWA. It was less by design. <laughs> right, right. But that, I guess, would also sort of gave you a good understanding of how the organizations work. I mean, you were, you were not sort of out in the field, I guess, but actually working with the management sort of of, of the organization. Yes, that's right. Yes, um, it was it was the, the West Bank field office, which is a large structure for us. But mm. the headquarters was at that point in time in Vienna. So I got a good insight into how the organization functions and, mm. and, and what makes it tick. Uh, obviously, uh, that was the time when uh, when the first intifada was on. So there was considerable field work also um, mm. that related to the, the emergency that was uh, that was starting at the time. Okay, all right. So, so what did you study when you went to university? <laughs> uh, political sciences. Uh, that's that's my masters. Uh, I, I did uh, public administration uh, and uh, political sciences, international law. Okay. Those were my 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 primary areas all right so um, Lara, we, um, as we all can understand we, uh, we i'm sure you have tons of stories that you could um, that we <laughs> could talk about for hours but so to give an example of, of the kind of experience that you have had could you share a story for us um, in your career that you've, you've sort of specifically proud of or, or, or that has been um, rewarding for you 
You know, I was thinking about this question earlier on, and it's kind of difficult to pick the one thing that you are most proud of. Mm. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is that at the time when you have these these uh, events and, and situations, they all are uh, significant, they're rewarding, and, and they make a huge impact on you as as a professional, as a person. So it's kind of unfair yeah. <laughs> to, to signal out uh, one particular one. But mm. I guess if I had to, to, to pick one, perhaps in, in less specific terms, there have been the times when we've had a startup operation of some kind, mm. when the organization has done something that it hasn't done before or it's mm. done it differently. Um, perhaps to mention there the startup operation in East Timor was significant. This was a you know this was going to be a, a new country mm. uh, and it and it did become a country. So that was fascinating because again the mandate of the, the operation was very, very distinct and from from what it had been in the past. So East Timor was was fabulous because it gave us the opportunity to to uh, to contribute to the building of a new country. I mean, obviously, there were some issues since with that. But from a professional perspective, that was truly fascinating because you worked both with the UN internally and also with the, the government of, of East Timor, as it was going to be. Then there were elements like doing an assessment mission to, to Afghanistan right after the fall of Taliban, which was a fascinating, fascinating time in my life, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm. I've uh, very much enjoyed uh, the work in Sierra Leone because, again, there you, you transition from peacekeeping to peace building right. and all that it entails for operations. So there's been so many, <clears throat> so many rewards, excuse me, <clears throat> that I, I really can't single out one particular one. No. Let me get some water. Yeah. yeah. No, that's mm -hmm. the, uh, fully understandable. I mean, w w what stories do you, yeah, what experiences that you, you have? Um, amazing. So, 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 going from that, yeah, um, I mean, I can imagine also that you've gone through yeah, really challenging um, times in your career, and the, maybe those are even the same as the ones that you now consider <coughs> mm. to be to be rewarding, but. Um, what has been the sort of the greatest or one of the yeah, challenges <laughs> for you um, that you had yeah. to deal with, or maybe for the organization you were working for? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I think the same applies to the, to the previous question in the sense that, you know, in 25 years, there's mm. been no shortage of challenges and, and rewards. And they all relate to where I was at the time and what I did and be they, you know, these professional or, or personal challenges. Um, I, I think they all, you know, they range from indeed professional, more technical related challenges to perhaps more personal mm. uh, safety and security or, and more, more often than not um, all combination of, of those. Mm. In hindsight, I think... Uh, any of those challenges, although they may have been kind of grueling at the time, I think they, they are necessary and they're necessary for you to understand in the system why things work the way they do and why they don't work. So I think it's, it's, all, it's all necessity. Yeah. Um, if, if, I, if I, again, perhaps more philosophically, when you operate in these conflicts or high-risk zones, there are natural and obvious challenges, and those are perhaps more, more, more clear to people. But so does operating in a headquarters uh, environment where pressure they're wholly different and and more often than not, perhaps not uh, as dangerous physically than the field, but nonetheless, they are, are certainly very pressing. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think um, it really depends on what you prefer and what you thrive 
even be the headquarters or a field setup. Mm. But that, again, as, as a challenge, that also is a very rewarding challenge. I would have to pick the, the current uh, uh, job where I am at. Um, you know, UNRWA operates in, in a very, very volatile region, which is even more volatile than it has been in the past. Mm. Uh, we're at, in a situation where out of our five fields, multiple fields are either downright in extended crisis like Syria, which is entering its fifth year now. Mm. And with the other fields, you know, like Gaza going through uh, regular um, conflicts uh, from time to time. And then the other fields that are directly or indirectly impacted by the conflict that surrounds us. Mm. And when you compound this situation of an organization that needs to needs to continue to provide services to the Palestine refugees mm. in situations which are, are downright dangerous or complicated, and we need to do so within within uh, severe and I, I sincerely mean that very strongly severe financial constraints, political considerations, and and others. That really has to be a, for me at the moment the largest challenge I've ever had. You know, we do have thirty two thousand staff. We are running uh, financially in, in, in hard times, and we still have to continue operating in areas where many other organizations no longer operate. Right. So th- that certainly is, is the biggest one. Mm. And it's kind of nat- natural that it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can see that. That's a, how, how much will, does that mean that you're also now um, collaborating? Do you collaborate even more with other um, UN organizations or, or NGOs because of that? Uh, yes, I think it's safe to say that we do. Um, certainly, in in, um, in the areas of crisis where an organization can provide some service, we would collaborate. Of course, we have a very specific mandate. Ours is the Palestine refugees, yeah. um, and that is that is what our focus obviously on. But there are the field-based organizations that we work with, in, in specifically in terms of food and, and other other service elements. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I I can really understand that that challenge for you right now with the current situation in in that region. So going back to sort of the um, your career and and the um, once you started, yeah, I mean you you had um, sort of you grew up within this world if you want to call it that. But still, was there anything that once you actually started your own career, was that anything that you didn't really expect? Something you that know, surprised I, you. Yeah. Yes, yes, obviously, a number of elements. Although I had a fairly, you know, good understanding of what this type of a career and work might entail. But I, I don't remember, actually, as, as a younger person, having had the presence of mind to sit down and sort of map out <laughs> what mm. my expectations might have been. Although perhaps it would have been something good to, good to do. Um, but I, I, I think fundamentally... The, the wide variety of options and choices and opportunities that are out there in the UN system for those who wish to seek them and, and, and make use of them. Mm. Of course, doing that comes with its own constraints and, and you have to understand the impact on your family and, and, and yourself. But fundamentally, I, I don't think I could have ever predicted that I would be able to do all the things that I do and in the places that I, I get to do them, um, you know, and, and where... I have taken my career than, than rather the reverse. Um, most of the twists and turns really are by default and less by, by design. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true. So, so <laughs> if, if someone um, yeah, would like to, I mean, start, have a dream of, of actually going into, <laughs> into this sector, what would you say are the most 
important lessons that you would like to share with our listeners? I think in, in particular this line of work where I'm at and the humanitarian development area in, in particular, I think it has to be understood that it really is not a nine-to-five job. Mm. Um, I've had people who join us and who are absolutely, I think, stunned by what is going on, and they will say, I'm not sure I signed up for this. Mm. So I think that is that is really the key for for people who want to join is to understand to the maximum extent. I understand it's, it's not always very clear or easy, but to understand that these are in large part even a lifestyle type mm. of a job. Um, it's possibly an all-consuming job and lifestyle. Uh, and that's pretty much regardless of where you are based. Mm. You know? And it, it's, it's also, it, it, for you to enjoy it, I think there needs to be a level of commitment uh, to whatever it is that you are working for. It, to stay somehow detached and, and do a nine to five, I, I think may not be right for this particular time work. Um, and obviously this may not be, this may not work for everyone, or it may work for people for a particular part of their life. Um, and then they move on and to, to do something different. Mm. Uh, this type of lifestyle and work uh, places demands on, on, your, on your personal ties and your family ties. Mm. And of course, there are other more stable, more, um, uh, how would I put it, less challenging uh, jobs from that perspective in the UN system that don't require you to be as mobile or as, as uh, ready to, to take on these challenges as others. So it really depends on uh, what it is that makes you tick as a human being. And mm. that's what I would say is that try, try to the max extent you can know yourself, what it is you like and what it is you don't like, and mm. also try to figure out what is the environment that you are most comfortable in. And mm. I think that's a, that's a huge step forward once you figure that out. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And I guess also you, you, you need, to, in some way, you need to um, experience some environments before you even know if, if you, mm. uh, if, if that's for you, of course. So, true, true. That is absolutely right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, linked to that, what do you believe are the most important skills needed for an international career? You know, it really depends on uh, that the particular international career. But but I think in the, in the development or humanitarian field, um, I think you have to have certain, not have to have. Perhaps it helps if you have certain characteristics that that enable you to function well and be happy in the environment that that you would working. And often those are things like you you really it would help if you like change, if you don't mind that your plans get disrupted, mm. if you enjoy challenges and a very fast-paced environment where, you know, your priorities will change on a regular basis and there's very mm. little <laughs> you might be able to do about it. I think if, if you're flexible and you're adaptable, mm. um, I think um, those are, are certainly personal traits that would help you uh, enjoy it. Now then, if you want to, to look at a more mobile career, the fact that you are willing and able to, to move around, be it functionally or geographically, is of course something that, that is critical. Um, oftentimes, however, and I admit this, that in the UN system, that means perhaps risking some of the job security that you might have if you stay put. Mm. Um, and, and I think for me, certainly, I, you know, by now I worked in every, every single aspect of operational support, um, 
which I find that regardless of the job that I'm, um, I've been in at the time, all of these components and elements have served me well. Mm. So even if it's not a linear um, progression of duties, they all come handy at some point in time, uh, be it in operational or, or now in more leadership roles. Mm. Mm. So, so um, looking at UNRWA um, and the situation, <laughs> situation that you are in, um, um, that I guess can also be, of course, extremely uh, rewarding for staff coming work working for you, but also extremely challenging. Um, so, what what would you say? Why should people come and, and join UNRWA? You know, um, I think, of course, UNRWA is perhaps one of the lesser-known UN agencies, despite mm. the fact that we are very large. You know, mm. we have thirty-two thousand staff. Uh, most of these are locally recruited colleagues, and we have some 250, 300, uh, depending on the time, international staff. And again, it's, I think it's very important to understand, you know, where we operate and what it is we do. We have the five fields. We have Gaza, we have West Bank, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. Mm. UNRWA is unique, and this is kind of critical in the sense that we are a direct service delivery organization. We deliver our own programs and our own services to the Palestine refugees directly through our staff. We don't use implementing partners, which is right. the normal modality of most other areas. Mm. So, so this is and these are this is now an operation in the Middle East providing direct services. So that already is an is an important thing to understand. Um, you know, our locally recruited colleagues they are really the frontline staff and they deliver services directly to their own community. You know, they're teachers, they're the doctors, and they're really workers. Mm. Um, and this being the case, and I'm, I'll, I will answer your question, I'll get there, it's, it's just that the mandate and the services and programs that we, we provide, uh, they are on a day-to-day basis, on an hourly basis, they are front and center of what we do. Mm. It sort of impermeates all the functions, including HR. Uh, you know, my HR job is less of a traditional HR job in the sense that while entitlements and contracts are part of it, uh, most of the things relate to what is happening in education, in health, in social services, and so forth. So it, it is really front and center, and, and uh, that, that uh, changes the way we look at things and, and what we do. Um, you know, we're, as I mentioned earlier, we're financially extremely constrained, mm. and that's why funding funding goes where it needs to go, and that is the programs in benefit of the Palestine refugees. The rest of the organization is truly on a shoestring, mm. and that is as, as it really should be. Um, and in, in UN terms, I guess, we're, we're a very nimble, a very operational, and a, and a sort of non-hierarchical organization in UN terms. I'm sure some would disagree, but, mm. but overall. Mm. So, but what we actually offer in this context, and that's important, is that, you know, the work we do it is something that you have, it's, you have direct visibility into the impact that you have in this mm. particular organization. Mm. You know, it is truly meaningful understanding the mandate, understanding what we do and why we do it. It is meaningful and rewarding. Um, and, you know, and again, of course, given that we have such challenges and the operation and the region we operate in, it is clearly not everyone's cup of tea. Mm. But uh, then when you look at the individual people, perhaps more closely, the, the jobs we have, and I have been, uh, 
I've said this many times. I think some of the jobs we have are the best ones that you can have in the in the UN system, you know, specifically at the middle and senior level. These are, in UN terms, very unusually big jobs. Mm. Uh, you know, in in Gaza we have twelve thousand staff, and you'll be managing an operation of of triple digits. So these are large jobs. Mm. They're large in programmatic, they're large in functional, and they're large in managerial scope. Um, these jobs they have considerable independence. Um, both within the field that they operate in mm. and vis-a-vis the field and headquarters. Um, they are not for the faint-hearted oftentimes, uh, both in terms of portfolio and, mm. and the region uh, is concerned. But I do believe, and, and this is the, very, very deeply I believe this, that they come with great professional and, and uh, personal rewards. They are big jobs where you actually get to do many things that you otherwise would not be able to do in, in some of the other operations. Mm. Um, yeah. Exciting. So, so you, yeah. apart from sort of the the mid and and senior levels, I guess since you're then not working with implementing partners, like you said, that many other UN organizations do. You, I guess you the the, the types of profiles <coughs> or or professions or, or that you're recruiting are then very broad. I mean, you said you're working. Where you have yes. your own teachers. You have your own <laughs> doctors. You have your own sort of community services, the, um, everything. Are there any sort of areas that are you are rec- recruiting more or that you are specifically looking at that would actually maybe be a good way of, of entering into the organization? Yeah, it, it's um, the direct service pro- provision actually is primarily conducted by our locally recruited colleagues who are, you know, by and large Palestine refugees for the vast majority. For the international complement, which is perhaps uh, what is more more relevant for this particular discussion, mm-hmm. we have the full range. We have some entry level functions which are which I think are great, which mm-hmm. are um, operation support officers, and these are people who uh, monitor and report on the agency's neutrality. They spend a lot of time in the field, there's refugee camps and, and, and uh, reporting both within the agency and outside. So those are a large group of people who who oftentimes are fresh out of university, they come for a few years, they get this really exciting, uh, very rewarding experience and they move on to do different things. Then we have very traditional functions, you know, we have project officers, we have program support officers, we have finance, we have HR, we have procurement, um, we have executive office fundraising, and then we have what is a critical part of our operation, obviously the part of the operation has to do with the, the, the programs and the field uh, structures where we have directors, deputy directors, uh, program chiefs and and, um, and a small setup of, of admin support. So we do have them uh, across the range. Um, I think in, in terms of what, what we think it's going to go, you know, it's, it's more of an emergency uh, related uh, skill set and capacity, given uh, what I mentioned earlier. Mm. So I, th- I think those are those are um, certainly important. Um, apart from from that, the profiles, obviously, the skills are are Im- important. Mm. There needs to be, and I said this earlier, an appreciation for the mandate and the fact that we do business in the manner that we mm-hmm. do, um, and the people that work for us, and the impact on that all of this has on our work. You need to be able to be mobile. Not mm. only do you, do you need to be willing and able to live in the Middle East, which which some some perhaps might hesitate, you also need to be to willing and able to to consider hardship and non family duty stations. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And and you link to that. How much? I mean, languages. What 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 languages are needed? 
Uh, well, primarily, of course, we, we operate in English and in Arabic. Mm. Uh, the the official language is English, with Arabic being very, very important. Most of our international staff, however, do not have um, at least fluent Arabic. You know, no. we, we get by, we learn something, but but very few of them are, are native level of fluent Arabic. So it, it's certainly a, a benefit. It's an added added bonus but fundamentally we will we will like any other UN agency we will look at competence in the first uh, intense, yeah. instance mm. yeah great so I want to respect your time I know that you are going to another meeting soon um, but <laughs> I mean before we end maybe um, uh, any final tips that you want to share with our listeners or, or any advice that you can give? Maybe what kind of advice would you have given yourself uh, 20 years ago, if, if knowing what you now know, um, <laughs> if you want to have this career? Yeah, no, I, I think um, just perhaps uh, on the issue of, of uh, I know how difficult it is for people to, to gain this entry point into the UN. And I think the important part there is, and, and we see it frequently, that, you know, uh, we advertise all our positions. Mm. Um, and and uh, like most UN agencies, um, you we get so many applications that it is absolutely of the essence that the CV and the, the whatever uh, personal history form that you submit, that it does describe in a clear and understandable manner what it is that you can do and how your experience relates to the vacancy in question. Um, you know, the only way we have to assess that match is through that CV in the first mm. instance. Mm. And, and the other thing I tend to see is that people assume that particular titles are understood or translated and they resonate in the UN. That is not the case. So if... if I think it's very important that you adequately describe what it is you have done, because simply that's the only way people can 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 match it. So don't assume anything. No. Um, I, I think the critical thing is also is, is to prepare for the interview. I, I, I feel very strongly that when people come to the interview, it is important to show that they have researched the organization, that they understand the job. Uh, you know, we, like many other UN agencies, if not most, we conduct these competency-based interviews. So I would also suggest that people need to research those uh, when you go into into competition. And I think finally is, is that, you know, our recruitment moves relatively fast in, in UN organizations. Mm. Um, and, and I would suggest that uh, to people who apply that, that it's, it's worthwhile going through the recruitment process, uh, even if your circumstances change, because we also run these rosters that are valid for, for a number of years uh, subsequently. Okay. So it, it's kind of important for everyone to to ensure that, that the best possible fit can be made between the person and the job. Mm. Great. So we make sure that you have a CV, an application that really reflects on what you've done mm. and, and your real competences, your experiences. And, and we actually share some, yeah, I would say, great tips on that on our UN Job Finder blog. And, and also be prepared for the competency-based interview once you get mm -hmm. for that. And And... Um, be be open for opportunities. I guess is also what you're saying. If if you sort of go through the process, yes. but maybe not exactly got the job that you first applied for, but you you will be on the roster. So be open for for other opportunities. Yes, I think that's right. That's right. Great, Dara. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
yeah, for being with us today and, and, and really for being willing to share your insights and all your experiences that you've had. Yeah, I think the, uh, I'm sure that people will really listen to this and, and take notes and they will also, of course, be able to find, <laughs> find our show notes um, in the, uh, on, the, on our website. So um, thank you so much and I appreciate me uh, a lot. My pleasure, Italia. Thank you very much, Magnus. Thank you, Laura. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura Landin from UNRWA. Laura, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, I'm also very happy to say that UNRWA is one of our partners and you will always be able to find all their vacancies at unjobfinder.org. And to all you great people out there, continue to send us feedback. You can send us tips on questions that you would like to ask our guests or anything else. You can always reach us via Twitter at UNJobFinder, via facebook.com forward slash UNJobFinder, or via the contact form that you can find at UNJobFinder.org forward slash contact. We also want to remind you that if you want to be sure to receive all the new episodes, we advise you to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. Showing what you think about this show uh, by leaving an honest review on iTunes is something that we really appreciate. And you know that at uandjobfinder.org forward slash podcast, you will be able to find all the show notes of all the episodes and the full transcript. So again, thank you so much for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Thank you.